Hey, everybody, and welcome to True Crime Paranormal with this psychic sister. This is Katie Weaver, and it's time for my Friday pop-up show. It is later in the evening than I normally do this show, but I'm happy to be here. But I've got a hell of a case for you guys. It's just really grabbed my attention, and I think it'll grab yours, too. First, though, I hope that you are having a great Friday. I hope you have some plans. Whether they're to stay in or stay out, I hope you have some plans that, uh, you know, make your heart sore. <laughs> or I hope your plans fell apart so you can stay in and that makes your heart sore. However it is. <laughs> uh, before we get into my case, I do want to give you a quick word from our sponsor. So we want to always thank Manscaped for sponsoring True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters and remind you, that when the shrubs are shorter, the tree looks longer. You can connect to Manscaped and receive 20% off of your first order if you use our code, True Crime Paranormal, over at manscaped.com. Alrighty, guys. I've got an awesome case for you guys tonight. I'm so excited to share it. I've been researching it and looking at it all week long, just thinking this is a perfect pop-up case. So... I want to share with you the case of Linda O'Keefe. Linda O'Keefe has was murdered 45 years ago and or more now I think but nearly 45 years. At any rate, she lived in New Newport Beach, California. And I'm going to tell you the story the way Newport Beach did. Back in 2018, Newport Beach decided that it was time to tell her story in a little different way. Jennifer Manzella was their police spokesperson at the time, and she decided to put together a series of tweets, a tweet storm, if you will, about Linda, from Linda. Her idea was that if maybe, just maybe if we give Linda a voice, maybe will have some chance of bringing her killer to justice. So that was what she was hoping for. So for two days, they suspended all tweeting on their Twitter account, except for tweets about Linda O'Keefe. And I am going to share them with you. I think there's no better way to tell her story than in the words they gave her. We'll call them hers. All right, so... Pulling up my file here, so we'll start here. Hi, I am Linda O'Keefe, or Linda Ann O'Keefe, if I'm in trouble with my mom. 45 years ago today, I disappeared from Newport Beach. I was murdered, and my body was found in the back bay. My killer was never found. Today, I'm going to tell you my story. Orchid Avenue. That's the street I grew up on. It's a small house, and we've lived here most of my life. At 8 o'clock a.m., I walk out my front door and have no idea that it will be the last time. My piano teacher is giving me a ride to summer school. 
I'm still getting used to the schedule here. I go to Lincoln Intermediate School, which was a middle school back in 1973, although I hear it's an elementary school now. A lot has changed between the last time I was here and what it looks like in 2018. I was 11 years old on the day I disappeared. It's kind of strange. That year, 1973, July 6th also fell on a Friday. It was a cool day, cooler than usual. The high was about 70 degrees. Time for first period. Here we go. School isn't really my thing. I get B's, C's, a couple of D's, and I hate doing my homework. I'm not too fond of school in general, I guess. But, not to brag, but I'm really good at spelling, and I love science class. I also love the piano. Before I had piano lessons, I would go to the Hammond Organ Studio in my neighborhood and play their organs and pianos for hours at a time. I also love painting and crafts. My mom says I'm artistically inclined. Break time. It's still a little chilly out, so I wrap my green ski jacket a little tighter around me as I head out the classroom door. I'm wearing a dress today. It's white with blue flowers on it and dark blue trim. My mom made it. She makes a lot of my clothes and my sister's clothes. She's really good at sewing, and we don't have a lot of money for fancy store outfits anyhow. Back to class. Time for second period. I should have had a snack during break. I'm still getting used to the schedule here. I go to Lincoln Intermediate School, which was a middle school back in 1973, although I hear it's an elementary school now. A lot has changed between the time that I was here and what it looks like in 2018. Along with my homemade dress, I'm wearing dark blue tennis shoes with white trim and thick white ankle socks. My hair used to be shorter, but now it is long and brown, and I'm wearing it in a ponytail today. Time for another break. I have a few coins in my bag, so I head over to Richard's Market. It's only a block and a half away, so I can get over there and back in time for my next class. What to buy, what to buy. I settle on a pack of gum and hurry back to school in time for the next period to start. Third period, halfway there. Gosh, I wish it was a weekend day today. Then I could go to the beach. I love the beach. This is the first summer that mom and dad let me go by myself since we live so close. I'm a pretty quiet kid, I guess. I don't talk as much as some people, that's for sure. People call me shy. My parents say I'm sensitive, which I think means that I'm an easy crier. It's true. Not all crying is the same, though. The last time I cried, really cried, was a few months ago. We have three cats, and one of them died. They told me she has cancer, 
And I don't really know what that means, but I missed her so much for weeks and weeks and weeks after she was gone. That's the end of third period. Mrs. McWilliams has been my teacher all morning, but I'll have Mrs. Hoover next. One class with her, and then school is out for the day. It's time for our last period of the day. Whew! I'd so much rather be watching TV right now. I love TV. I'll watch at home, of course. But I also like to go to the Fashion Island and watch the big TVs in the stores. Besides Mom and Dad and me, there are two more in the family, both sisters. My big sister is 18 and has a real job. She works at a dry cleaner's. She still lives with us, so I get to see her a lot. My little sister is only nine and a half. She and I are really close. Finally, school is over. Like everyone else in the classroom, I'm getting excited about how to spend the rest of my afternoon or what I want to do this weekend. I obviously don't know it yet, but I won't get to have a weekend. Usually I ride my bike to school. The ride home is easy because it's almost all downhill. But today I got to ride to school. I got a ride to school, so no bike. I'm going to call my mom and see if she'll pick me up so I don't have to walk home. The lady in the school office says I need to wait. School's only been out for a few minutes and my mom hasn't had time to get here yet so I can't use the phone yet. Adults always have rules for stuff like this. I know my mom isn't planning to pick me up, so I head back towards Richard's Market, just to waste some time until I can call her. My friend Brenda, from third period, skips past me with another girl and says hi. A turquoise van is driving up Harbor View Road. Brenda who has turned around and started skipping backwards now, will later tell the police that the van stops next to me a couple of times as I'm walking along, but she's too far away to hear if anyone talks to me. I'm back at the school office now, and the lady lets me call my mom for a ride home this time. It doesn't go well. She is busy with a sewing project and tells me that I can walk home. It makes me upset, and I cry. I'm an easy crier, remember? Still sniffling, I leave the office. I know they think I'm lazy, but I just really don't like walking. My parents get annoyed when I ask for a ride home from school because it's such a short walk. But I hate it. I wish I had my bike. Even if I wanted to walk home, which I don't, I wouldn't leave right now. I'm still upset about not getting a ride home. I sit on the curb in front of the school with my feet sticking out into the street. I'll leave soon. Late tonight, the police will talk to a young woman named Janny. She and her mom are driving up Marguerite right now, and they see something they won't forget for a long time. It's me and a turquoise van. The van is parked along the curb just before the intersection of Marguerite and Inlet Drive. The front passenger door is open, 
and I'm standing right beside it. Janine will remember that she sees the driver, a man, white, in his mid-twenties or early thirties. Janine's mom is suspicious. It must be a mom instinct. As she turns onto San Joaquin Hills Road, she slows down and then pulls over. If that van drives by, write down the license plate number, she tells Janine. But the van doesn't drive by. Her heart sinks a bit as she sees the van go straight up Marguerite. She can't see how many people are inside. No one is concerned when I don't come home from school right away. Or not too concerned, anyway. It's a different time back in 1973 and kids roam the neighborhood on their bikes for hours at a time. No one is concerned when I don't come home. My mom also made the book bag I'm carrying. It's red, white, and blue, with stars and stripes, and it feels very patriotic after the 4th of July. My mom made matching bags for all three of us, my sisters and me. My mom made us matching stuff a lot. We have a photo from when my little sister was just a baby, and all three of us girls are in pink gingham dresses. You can't tell because the photo's black and white, but my big sister remembers. I guess you can say that I am kind of a moody kid. I've been acting out lately. Little stuff, like not coming home on time, just so they know I'm upset. This new bad habit of mine is probably on my mom, mom's mind quite a bit this afternoon. Mom's starting to get a little worried. She knows I was angry about her not picking me up, but she thought I'd sulk a bit and then come home to eat. It's been three hours since she heard from me, which is a lot when you're a young girl with an empty tummy. Let's see, what else can I tell you about me? I've always been really good at tidying up. Mom says I'm like a little mother and always keep my room very neat. Whenever I clean, I ask her to come and see. I like hearing her tell me that I did a good job. Mom starts calling around to see if I met anyone's house. I have several friends in the neighborhood and friends from school. Kathy, Jim, Stacy, Mona, Mary Lou but no one has seen me since I walked away from Lincoln Intermediate. When my dad gets home from work, worry turns into action. We have two family cars. My dad gets in one, my big sister gets in the other, and they start to look for me. There's a feeling that I'm being disobedient, not that anything is actually wrong. No luck. I am a Girl Scout and a member of the Corona Del Mar Youth Center, so there's a few places to check. I stopped going to the CMD Community Church a few months ago, but they check there too, just in case. No luck. I'm a Girl Scout and a member of the Corona Del Mar Youth Center. Everyone returns home. Everyone but me, that is. At 6.42 p.m., the Newport Beach Police Department receives a call from a house on Orchid Avenue. 
Linda Ann O'Keefe is missing. Four feet tall, 85 pounds, long brown hair, and blue eyes. The search begins. My dad and sister join in again in their separate cars. The police get to work, systematically checking out the areas between my school and my house. My mom has made about 40 calls by now, trying to track me down. Officers are searching everywhere. Back then, there were vacant fields south of the Pacific View and east of Marguerite. The they searched the fields, the reservoir, the neighborhoods, the streets. Nothing. The sun is setting, and there's still no sign of me. My sister thinks I'm going to be in big trouble when they find me. My mom knows I'd never stay out past dark. A new theory and a new hope. My good friend Kathy's parents were sailing to Catalina tonight. Kathy wanted to stay over at my house, but my mom had said no. Maybe Kathy and I had both gone with them on the sailing trip? Every police officer in the city is looking for me. They eventually track down Kathy's parents' slip and see that their boat is gone. Could I have been so angry that I left town with my friend and not told anyone? The officers find some men on a boat in the next slip and interview them. Yes, the men saw the boat leave a few hours ago, with six adults on board, and no little girls. The officers are searching Fashion Island, the back bay. On foot, by car, by helicopter, jeeps are used in places the patrol cars can't go. Still, nothing. The Catalina Harbor Police Department check the Avalon Harbor for Kathy's parents. They haven't arrived yet, but when they do, the North Beach Police Department wants to make sure that I didn't run away with them. My mom hopes that the men on the next boat over were wrong. Janine knocks on the door of my house and asks to talk to a detective. The image of the little girl and the turquoise van is still burning in her mind, and she heard that a little girl who lives here might be missing. A lady in the bluffs above Back Bay hears a female voice outside screaming, Stop! You're hurting me! She listens but hears nothing more. She doesn't know that I'm missing that I'll be dead by morning, that I'll be found a couple hundred yards from her home. As midnight draws near, there is little peace for my parents. My sisters are both asleep. My big sister has to work in the morning, and anyway, she is still certain that I'm alive and well, and in big trouble when they figure out where I have been. Kathy's parents still haven't turned up in Catalina. Until they do, there's still hope that at least one place I could be that the officers can't find me. One place that doesn't involve a passing glimpse of a strange man in a van. The search will continue throughout the night. The sun has been up for a couple of hours, and the police department is still searching for me. More volunteers have joined in. 
When my big sister gets to work, she is shocked to see the headline on the front page of the Daily Pilot. Girl, 11, vanishes in Newport. Linda, vanished? No, 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 she thinks. They must have something wrong. Tons of people are looking for me. The helicopter has been scouring the canyons and remote areas of Corona del Mar. My dad is out looking for me, too, with some officers. My mom is still home, peering through the curtains at all of the activity on our quiet street. Less than a half a mile from my house, a man is getting on his bike. He pedals towards the back bay with his four-year-old son in tow. He is due to meet two friends there. A new shift of searchers is gathered at the police department. Newport Beach Explorer Post 1050, Costa Mesa Search and Rescue Post 198, and a handful of others are joining in to relieve the volunteers who have looked for me all night. The man and his friends meet in the back bay and start to tour the area on their bikes. They are looking for a good place to hold a nature study. Specifically, they're looking for a good place to observe frogs. The man is looking in the ditch on the side of Back Bay Drive, searching for frogs in the cattails. Instead, he sees something small and pale. My hand. He sees my hand. He screams, trying to rouse me. His friends come over when they hear him screaming. Peering through the cattails, they gasp. They don't know who I am, of course, or who I was. But they see a young girl's body, still in my mom's homemade dress. I've been strangled. They go for help. They ride along Back Bay Drive, looking for a phone, a person, anything. Just before San Joaquin Hills Road, they find a police car. The officer, one of many who have been searching for me, is the first to know. This is now a homicide investigation. The search for Linda Ann O'Keefe is now the search for Linda Ann O'Keefe's killer. Was it someone I knew? A stranger? The man in the van? There are so many questions. There will be theories and a sketch of a person of interest, but my murder will eventually become a cold case. Newport Beach PD detectives look at my file, interview people who saw me or knew me, follow leads, but the trail leads nowhere. But now, 45 years later, I have a voice again, and I have something important to say. There is a new lead in my case, a face, a face that comes from DNA that the killer left behind. It's technology that didn't exist back in 1973, but it might change everything today. There is a video about my case at Newport Beach Police on YouTube about the evidence, about the clues and facts that will lead detectives to my killer. My name is Linda O'Keefe. What is his name?
On July 1973, in July 1973, 11-year-old Linda Ann O'Keefe was murdered. In July 2018, her story touched millions of people through hashtag Linda's story on Twitter. Today, February 20th, 2019, we have a new message to share, and we are giving Linda a voice once more. On Tuesday, February 19th, 2019, detectives from the Newport Beach Police Department arrested this man, James Allen Neal, date of birth 7-28-46, in Colorado Springs, Colorado, for my murder. My murder. Thank you to everyone all over the world who was touched by my story. For your thoughts and prayers for me and the search for my killer, thank you to my family, friends, and schoolmates who never gave up hope. And finally, thank you to the generations of investigators who worked my case for more than 45 years. Because of you, James Neal is now in custody. Because of you, my story didn't end in 1973. Thank you for never, ever giving up. So how did it happen? How did they finally find him? Well, this is yet another DNA for the win case. Back in 1973, when Linda was found, she had been raped and there was semen on her body. And a criminal pathologist then gathered that semen and put it in a freezer. Remember in 1973, they did not have any technology for DNA. It didn't even exist, right? But he did it anyway. He felt like this could still be a clue that could help at some point. This is what it looked like. Just a couple of vials in a freezer. Well, of course, in 2018, the Newport Beach police took that semen and they took it to Parabon Nano Labs. We've heard about them before, right? And it was Parabon Nano Labs who put together the profile of the killer. So they put together a phenotype report of what he would have looked like. And that's where it ended for a minute until the tweets went viral. And when the tweets went viral, people started seeing the tweets who wanted to help. And this case actually got punted back to Parabon Nano Labs to their genealogist. And their lead genealogist contacted the police and said that she wanted to help. She wanted to help uh, with the whatever part of DNA help that she could help with. So they did a few things. They uploaded his DNA to GED Match. GED Match is a site that people use. They put their uh, genealogy in, or their uh, DNA in to look for their uh, genealogy and things like that. And some people put their DNA in that system because they have missing family members and things like that. So they put it up to G GED Match. 
And guess what? They found a match. How was this guy in the system? He put himself in the system. He'd been doing a bunch of genealogy work. And he had put his own DNA in the system. So after, you know, a little time and doing the uh, chasing back that it takes them to put together a family tree and find the guy, they found the guy. So a couple of things had to happen. They had to find him, which they did in Colorado. But then they needed to obtain a fresh uh, look at his DNA to make sure that it matched. Cold cases, not only are they incredibly hard to solve, they're hard to prove because they've gone for so long. So they went to Colorado and they started watching James Allen Neal. And he lived in a kind of a wooded area, like at the end of a dead end, and he was actually quite a hard to surveil. But what they discovered uh, is that he was a smoker. And so they were watching, hoping to see him toss a cigarette butt that they could grab. But he didn't. He would always finish smoking and stuff them in his pocket. Weird. Well, they discovered that in Colorado, there's a major fine for littering cigarette butts. So he wasn't doing it. But they kept watching him from afar. And finally, one day in a parking lot, he flipped out a cigarette and they had it. And they took that cigarette butt back to Parabon Nano Labs. And guess what? It matched. So they were able to arrest him. And he is, was 72, a married father and grandfather. And totally denied it. Totally denied it. Uh, but what they discovered is that he actually has quite the history of raping young girls. He's had other charges and lots of other uh, times where they suspected him that he wasn't convicted, but he was, he had a long history of sexually assaulting little girls. He had a type somewhere between seven and 11 years old. Yeah, quite the guy. So once they get him arrested and take him into custody, he is immediately denying it saying that he would have never done something like that. And they just keep talking at him and talking at him. And he says that he uh, has never seen her before. He says he's never picked up any kids ever. At one point, they finally tell him that uh, his DNA was on Linda's body. And he says, I can't explain that. And uh, Sergeant Hadepweg that was... Uh, Interviewing him says, you're telling me just miraculously your semen got on her? He says, it must be miraculous because it wasn't me. Yeah. At one point, they leave the room and they leave a picture of Linda sitting on the table. And he actually picks it up and looks at it and says, sorry, baby, but it wasn't me. But as we know, it was him. And so obviously they are building a case. 
her family is notified. Sadly, both of her parents have already died, but her older sister was overjoyed to learn that they had made an arrest. Her name is Cindy, and it was an incredible experience for them to know that it finally happened, that they finally had the person in custody. He was charged with murder and two special circumstances, kidnapping and an act during the murder of a lewd and lascivious act upon a child under the age of 14. Linda's classmates had made a Facebook page for her and had kind of stuck together and, you know, talked about this case all of these years. And they were overjoyed, shocked, totally blown away that finally they have somebody in custody. So they were a little... They were still trying to make sure they could put a whole case together to put him in jail forever. Because believe it or not, at the time that that crime was committed, the sentence would have been a whole lot less than it is today. So they wanted to make sure they could keep him behind bars forever. And they were able to get a search warrant for his phone because he, they wanted to know if he'd been following this case on Twitter, like if he knew about all of the uh, stuff that had been going on. Well, they didn't see any evidence of that. But what they did find was copious amounts of child pornography. And they were able to take that child porn and pile up enough charges that he would never, never, never see the light of day again. So that was the plan. So they're ready to take this to a jury. They're ready to tell the whole story. They have the DNA. They have the child pornography. They have all of the previous uh, charges and the history. Unfortunately, the jury never got to hear the case because in the summer of 2020, James Neal died of natural causes in custody. He would have been convicted. He would have never seen the light of day again. But her family didn't get the justice of seeing him convicted, seeing him stand for a jury. He died. He got out. At that point, he was 73, 74. But at least they know who did it. At least they picked him up. At least they got him off the streets. At least his family knew who he really was. He didn't totally get away with it. Not at all. But he had 45 years of freedom between the time that Linda died and he was arrested. I brought you guys this case because I thought the tweets were absolutely brilliant. I would love to see that kind of use of technology in other cases. I felt like telling her story from her voice, from her point of view, Helping us to understand more about her was brilliant. And it did help solve the case because it was from those tweets that Cece Cooper, who was the uh, head historian at uh, Parabon, she saw those tweets and that's when she got involved and that's when the ball started to roll to finally find the killer. Pretty amazing. What did he die from? They just said natural causes, Jr. I don't know. Wish I did. Yeah. So that's it. 
that's the case. Isn't that something? Anyway, I hope that we can see more cases uh, laid out similar to that. What a way to get attention to a case and spark people's memories and maybe just get more things out there about a cold case and also humanize a cold case. Because we talk about these cases all the time, right? And it's hard to even fathom what it looks like on the other, you know, inside that, uh, that dome, inside, you know, the home, inside the heads of the parents or the person who's missing. Brilliant. So that's what I've got. Thanks you guys so much for being here. I hope you have something good going on this weekend. Christy will be back tomorrow with another pop-up and then we'll be back Monday with a whole new slate of cases. And Spirit School members, Christy will be back at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning with a new episode of Spirit School as well. So like, subscribe, share, comment. We appreciate you guys to no end. Thank you for all that you do on our behalf in supporting our channel. This has been yet another production of True Crime Paranormal with this psychic sister. Take care.